Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, forget to speak slower while I ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton, and I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant at Purdue University, and I'm joined today by my friend and co-worker, Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what's up? Not much. It's Canada Day today, so happy Canada Day! Happy Canada Day. What is What is Canada Day? Canada Day is, um, <laughs> it is essentially the Canadian version of Independence Day, except that Canadians didn't, you know, we didn't have a war to get our independence from Britain. It was sort of, um, Canada became a confederation in 1867. Um, but of course, we have to acknowledge that um, Indigenous Indigenous peoples were in Canada long before that, and um, it's, there's very, very complicated and sad history. Uh, but trying to do better, and hopefully we will. Carol, Carolyn, I have a, I have a question. Who who's okay. on the Canadian uh, currency? Who's whose picture is on there? The Queen. The Queen. She's the queen. still technically the queen of our Canada. Head I didn't of know state. Canada had a Queen. She's our head oh, of state. Queen, yeah. We have a Governor General who. Um, is sort of her representative, and there have been some problematic governor generals lately as well. But again, they're trying to do better. So. Sounds good. And that's the voice of Titus Seilheimer, one of our multiple doctors, Fish. He is joining us today to talk about some Great Lakes news. Titus, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. We have kind of an interesting show today. So we have a, a shorter interview with um, actually some fellow people at Wisconsin, Sea, or uh, some some of your coworkers, Titus, at Wisconsin Sea Grant. So we also wanted, we realized we had a bunch of segments that we hadn't done in a while. So I wanted to blow through a segment or two, and including one that's new, and then we'll go into the interview. So that's why we brought Titus here. Uh, the first segment that we haven't done in a while that I intended to do more often, but eh, I've got a big soundboard and can't always remember the segments, is our Great Lakes uh, Factoids. Let's do that one. It's a Great Lakes factoid, a Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Carolyn, I think you have a Great Lakes factoid today. Is that correct? I do. Yes. So um, my Great Lakes factoid for today is that uh, many people believe that of the five Great Lakes, sorry, Lake St. Clair, you're just a good lake, according to Ed Brahimi. Um, So of the five Great Lakes, Lake Superior is traditionally considered the most oligotrophic, which is basically, you know, kind of not a whole lot of stuff in the water, clear, cold, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But within the past four to five years or so, um, there was a really long-term data set collected by the Environmental Protection Agency, where I think you've spoken with people on the Lake Guardian who helped collect some of these data. And they actually showed that according to like biotic factors and some water quality measures, um, Lake Michigan-Huron, and particularly Lake Michigan, is becoming a little bit more oligotrophic. Like historically, it was less oligotrophic, so it had more stuff in it than Lake Superior. But now it's actually a little bit cleaner. And they think that's probably largely due to like the zebra and quagga mussels. We've heard a lot, a lot about cleaning things up and whatever, but it's, it's kind of bonkers because for my entire life, it was like superior is clear. It's cold. You don't want to swim in it, but yeah, it's kind of crazy. 
now it's clear and cold. You don't want to swim in it, but not the coldest or not the clearest. Not the clearest. Still the coldest. Not the clearest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still the coldest. We'll take that Lake Superior. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's got Lake Superior. You should follow. It's an interesting Twitter follow. I have a rivalry a uh, little bit on this show with Lake Superior. It doesn't know about the rivalry. What with it being a lake or whatever. Um, but you know, Lake Superior is a little bit haughty, um, a little bit full of itself, I think, and a little bit uh, uh, self overrating, but still an interesting Twitter follow. So I encourage you to check that out. All right, well, there's our Great Lakes factoid. And now we have a brand new segment that I want to introduce. And because I have a book chapter due um, on Wednesday, we're recording this on Friday, Canada Day, as we all know, uh, I made a new theme song because that's better than writing a book chapter. So here we go. And now it's time for the Great Lakes News. Here's your host, Stuart Carlton. Thank you for that intro, Stuart. All right, we have uh, so Great Lakes News new segment. Um, we may or may not keep it. Let's see how it goes. In fact, give us your feedback on Great Lakes News. If you have a Great Lakes News item you want us to talk about, send us a tweet, Teach Great Lakes, or an email, Teach Me About the Great Lakes at gmail.com. All right, three stories. The first story today uh, is just now, just a couple days ago, it was announced that they are rebranding. The um, what we used to call the Asian carp, or sometimes we call the invasive carp, as Kopi, rebranding them as Kopi. Titus, what what's behind this rebrand? Well, you know, I I think carp, just the name carp, uh, you know, for many consumers, we kind of hear that, and it's you know, bad connotations, especially when you think about things like common carp, which are, you know, sort of benthic species down near the bottom, full of contaminants, not something you want to eat. They also destroy habitat. So, uh, you know, these invasive carps uh, have kind of a different ecology. They're actually pretty good to eat. And so rebranding them, uh, you know, just puts out uh, maybe gets a different feel for those. People aren't just like automatically saying, Ugh, carp, no thanks. Um, so Kopi, that's the new thing. And that, that's interesting, this idea of rebrand. That, you know, in fish in particular, there's kind of a long history of that, right? The one that comes to mind immediately is the uh, Chilean sea bass, um, which is the rebranded name of the uh, Patagonian toothfish. You will sometimes see it marketed as that. And so this is the Illinois DNR doing doing the rebranding, right? So is that something that everybody's going to follow or is it who knows? Like there's not rules on the common this common name rebranding, are there? No, I think, you know, it's really, it's, it's mar- you know, marketing is the the real focus here. So, you know, I think on a science side, we're, we're going to go with, you know, we've got silver carp and big head carp. Uh, those are the, you know, the species that we'd mainly be interested in and, you know, that it's going to still be kind of species specific, but uh, you know, Illinois, especially they're taking out millions of pounds of these uh, different species every year and, you know, trying to create some kind of, you know, food market. Cause I have had some Kopi taco meat, you know, ground up, it was delicious. And, uh, you know, if people try it, you know, that's a kind of a nice local, low contaminant load, tasty, flaky, white fleshed fish. So let's eat those. Yeah. And I, I had it one year, um, like as a filet, I think. And yeah, it was, it was really good. There, there were some bones in it, but that's most fish, right? Yeah. It's a cleaning thing, right? A processing thing. It's, it's fairly bony. We, we had it. Um, we actually served it on, uh, Capitol Hill. Um, at the Noah Fish Fry, 
uh, a couple years ago, and Thomas Hook, our director, he he brought some back and made a nice dip out of it. He kept calling it a moose, which sounds disgusting. A fish moose just sounds horrible. <laughs> but when you call it a fish dip, that's, it's pretty good. It's uh, No, I agree. I mean, I don't think we're not going to eat our way out of this problem. I don't think we've ever eaten our way out of an invasive uh, species. But it's it's still, if they're taking these fish out anyway, and I, what are they making, like animal feed out of it, I guess? Uh, maybe we can direct some uh, as a nice local protein. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, fer- fertilizer as well. Uh, you know, there's there's other uses, but yeah, protein, fertilizer. There is some food market for it now, but, you know, hopefully the new name makes it a little more palatable to people. Yeah. Well, good luck. And Carolyn, this also ties into kind of a bigger thing. This isn't directly related, but, um, you know, thinking about names and names that maybe are either offensive or perceived as offensive, right? And so for a long time, we, we call these Asian carp. And there's a move away from that, right? What do you know about that that move? So, yeah, so there there is um, uh, a general movement. I mean, another um, organism that's not a fish is, uh, but is super problematic in the Midwest and eastern coasts of the United States and Canada um, are the, the spongy moths, which um, are... Uh, species that can defoliate trees and things like that. Um, and so there was a discussion at the Joint Aquatic Sciences meeting where we had our, our live recording of Teach Me About the Great Lakes, um, where El Lower uh, had a really cool session where they were talking about moving away from some of these more problematic names towards something that is, is a little bit um, more inclusive of everybody. So there's a uh, really cool conversations happening around that. Yeah, there are. I was at that session. I was only at the carefully enunciated JASM for a couple of days, but that was by far the best session that I attended. Um, and L, uh, they did a really great job of uh, adapting because a number of their, their panelists couldn't make it because of COVID and flight issues, I believe. And um, But it ended up, we, we just had breakout groups and small discussions. Uh, it was really, really interesting. And um, it gets into a lot, we won't get into it now, but it's really complicated to rename uh, it bordering on not possible renaming like the scientific names of species. So sometimes if you find like um, a eugenicist named something after himself, it's usually him, let's be honest. Um, uh, uh, you know, that's really, really hard to change, but with the common names, there's room for more movement. And so this is one that I think is primarily dedicated to marketing, but uh, I think, you know, potentially uh, could be the start of a broader way that we look at invasive carp and, and other names as well. So uh, I wish them luck and go out and try some copy. Let us know. Teach me about the Great Lakes at gmail.com what you thought of it. All right. Story number two. This one comes directly from our Dr. Fish Titus. Uh, there are lots of dead alewives and gobies on Lake Michigan. What's the deal with that, Titus? Yeah. So this, you know, this is this time of year, uh, dead alewives is uh, a really typical kind of site for us, especially in Lake Michigan. Um you know, since the, the really the explosion of alewives, uh, mid 19th century, 1960s, uh, our number is like 90% of the fish biomass in Lake Michigan was alewives. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of a, a bad place and very unbalanced. And what happens is so alewives are native to kind of the North Atlantic, they are anatomous fish, just like salmon. Uh, they spawn in fresh water, but then they head out to the saltwater. Uh, to grow. And so, you know, out, out in the, if you go to New England, the, the alewife runs uh, are, you know, kind of a, an important event. It's a, you know, a sign of spring. It's actually a, a fish that you can actually eat because they're a lot bigger uh, in their native range. 
But uh, here in the Great Lakes, so they uh, alewives were able to kind of work their way into the Great Lakes in the early 1800s through the canal system, got into the Great Lakes, uh, you know, really were able to establish themselves uh, because we had kind of altered our food webs uh, so much uh, through a, a number of factors. So uh, what happens, they come in, they're, they're near to shore right now. Um, if you're in a lot of places in like Lake Michigan, you can head down to the beach and you might see whole big schools of alewife right on right on next to the shore where they're spawning. And for whatever reason, and this is, you know, one of those fun, uh, you know, something that's been happening for a long time in the Great Lakes, but we don't have a definitive answer on why alewives die. Uh, it has been hypothesized that there's, you know, sort of some uh, a temperature, you know, it's the big temperature swings, but then there's some science that said that's not true. Uh you know, likely it's just they, they, they just came through winter. You know, they're already kind of stressed out. And, it, you know, it's hard living through our, our northern winters um, in the Great Lakes. And uh, then spawning is stressful. And a lot of them die. And uh, what we're seeing, we're seeing a lot more this year than we have in the last, you know, decade or so, uh, which is probably an indicator that there's just more alewives uh, out there this year. And that's... Uh, likely because of uh, management decisions, cutting stocking numbers of salmon, which eat alewives. So I, I think that's the, the alewife story. Huh. So again, it's a boy, that salmon thing is so complicated and it's treated pretty extensively. Uh, yeah. In, um I guess there's a book, Death and Life in the Great Lakes. Um, <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. but it's pre- treated, treated pretty extensively. There. We've talked about it a little bit here. Anytime we have a fish person, we like to, but I mean, it's, it's just... I mean, it is a human story, right? And uh, in terms of just everything about that. Okay, so that's, but the real reason we're asking is, um, and speaking of eating your way out of in, invasives, there are also a lot of gobies. Is that normal that they're gobies? So alewives, normal. What about the gobies, man? Yeah, so gobies, you know, this is just in the last, uh, you know, probably week and a half uh, that people have been seeing uh, a lot of dead gobies washing up the beach. And you know, it's not unusual to see dead fish on the beach, but this is a really widespread thing. Uh, a Fish and Wildlife Service uh, fisheries biologist that I know who works in Green Bay, he spotted a bunch in Algoma. And, you know, it, it was noteworthy because, uh, you know, the g- dead gobies were outnumbering the dead alewives, which what? is, yeah, at least, you know, what he saw in Algoma uh, at that time. There were, you know, so that's a lot of dead gobies. And so I headed down to the beach. Um, I took a look. I, you know, started walking. And same thing in Manitowoc, a ton of dead uh, gobies on the beach. And yes, a a whole range, a whole range of sites. Like some of the, you know, I do a lot of kind of shoreline sampling. And I'd say two or three inches is typically what I see. But we, we saw some. True goby dog size, like six inch, you know, really fat and round gobies um, and fairly numerous, too, which is, you know, not typically what I would see. Yeah. So did you that's the the real question. Did you go out there and slap one in a bun? You know, I thought about it, but they, I, they just did not look that fresh. Like maybe they're still moving. Right. No, your goby dogs, that is that is kind of the downside with the goby dog is it needs to be fresh. Yeah. You know, it's once it's. You know, marinated on the beach for a while. That is just not. No, maybe, no. I don't know. Maybe they're really good that way. <laughs> yeah. So, so just, you know, the Gobi story to keep going. So reports from uh, Kenosha, you know, down the coast and actually uh, from the Indiana DNR reports, uh, reports of dead 
dead gobies over in Indiana. Um, and so, you know, lots of fish biologists around the lake are like, we're seeing it all over the place. And, you know, again, what is happening? Who knows? Um, I think that is the question, um, you know, with any of these things, uh, because, you know, another fish kill, there's actually a, a, a carp and a common carp and catfish kill uh, recently in the last couple of weeks out of the Fox River in Lower Green Bay. Um, you know, another kind of big question, like what is happening? And unless you can get like I could go pick up a whole bucket full of fish. But when I turn up to the fish vet and I say, tell me what happened to these, you know, they would like slam the door in my face and tell me to never come back because you need, you know, you need the sick or, you know, nearly dying fish. And, you know, so how do you find those? Like we can find them on the beach, but, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to wander out into Lake Michigan and just start plucking gobies from the bottom and, you know, hoping, hoping that uh, we can learn something from, from that. But uh, Michigan DNR fisheries biologists, they have seen some out, sent them to their, uh, their uh, fish kind of fish state, fish health person in Lansing and, and maybe we're going to find something uh you know what is going on keep your yeah keep your eye on Titus's Twitter feed for maybe some more pictures but also maybe some uh updates there so would you say Titus that you've never seen that many dead gobies in your life yeah it's uh it was you know it was I I spent a lot of time on the beach and you know it was really this is a year of dead fish um you know I in my decade here I have not seen this many dead alewives I've never seen this many uh, dead gobies. Lord knows I have. So then sort of the short version is, so dead alewives, normal, dead gobies, abnormal, but TBD if it's something we need to worry about. And it seems to be a year of dying. Maybe they just have been following the news. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. You know, just a lot of uh, existential dread in uh, the goby population right now. And, you know, there's actually uh, the, the if you follow kind of the bird death of botulism stories, um, avian botulism is something that uh, especially kind of Sleeping Bear Dunes area. Yeah. They've seen that uh, had a lot of problems up there. So uh, what happens There's botulism po- toxin is is present in the environment. Uh, the quagga mussels will concentrate it just because they're. You know, to kind of That's go true. back to your factoid, you know, it's the reason the Lake Lake Michigan, Lake Huron are so clear is because of that filtering action for the most part. You know, that's the driving force. And so they uh, they actually concentrate that. Gobies swim along. Uh, they eat those kind of little nuggets of botulism. Uh, they get sick. They start, you know, they're, they're sick. They're kind of rambling around on the bottom. And then the birds are like, oh, that's an easy fish to eat. You know, swoop down, eat that little you know, goby dog full of botulism, and then, you know, the birds die. And uh, this is actually back in uh, 2000, you know, again, let's go back to Canada Day. So when I was living in Hamilton, Ontario, went down to Long Point on Lake Erie and walking the beach um, and just a ton of like dead birds and dead loons. I mean, that was it just blew my mind. Like, you know, I grew up in the North Woods. Loons are like this rare thing that you know, we, we watched them recover and then to see all these dead ones. And that was, you know, likely a, a botulism outbreak. So, you know, that is something that happens. It's a, a goby yeah. story, but it's, I think it's all, it's a, a later in the summer story too. So I don't, you know, that's probably not what's happening, but you know, it does kind of speak to the, maybe there's a pathogen, uh, things like VHS or viral hemorrhagic septicemia, which is a, 
a virus that kills fish, um, and gobies are susceptible to that. So, you know, that could also be uh, part of the story here. So let's hope we, we learn more and figure out what happened. That sounds good. And then, uh, so in, in Great Lakes news, we have three stories always. Uh, story number one, Kopi. Story number two, dead alewives and dead gobies. Uh, story number three, the French's ketchup company is releasing uh, uh, the French sickle, a ketchup-flavored popsicle, just in time for Canada Day. Carolyn, tell me about ketchup and Canada. What is the deal? So, I mean, I don't know. I think the Canadians, uh, myself included, really like putting ketchup on everything. So, um, like, I dip ketchup. I, I dip grilled cheese in ketchup. Um, macaroni and cheese is delicious with ketchup. And they have ketchup chips, right? Yep, ketchup chips, which ketchup chips are now in the U.S. When I first started living in the U.S., I would genuinely, like, bring back pe- people who were in my department at Purdue University would ask me to bring back bags of ketchup chips for them. And I would just go to the grocery store and get whatever was on sale, and I would bring back, like, I would have, like, eight bags in the back of my car when I was crossing the border. And it's like, yeah, I'm taking all these ketchup chips to all my fellow student friends and things like that. What, yeah, yeah. what was wrong with them? Uh, well, see, so I personally do not like the ketchup chips, but I love all dressed chips, which are good too, which are not ketchup. But anyway, yeah, so I think Canadians have this, like, there's a lot of us anyway who really, really, really like ketchup. So to me, the idea, and I mean, there's like, you think about like a Bloody Mary or a, um, a Caesar, which is made with Clamato, um, that's kind of a similar type drink. To me, like, a, a savory popsicle that's made of ketchup would be absolutely delicious. But I know I, I freaked out a lot of people at work when I shared it. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, we actually have a bonus Great Lakes factoid just for you. Hold on. It's a Great Lakes factoid. A Great Lakes factoid. It's a great factoid about the Great Lakes. Cha. Canada's annual intake of ketchup is more than 200,000 tons. Equivalent to more than five kilograms per person per year, which is 13 standard 400 gram bottles of ketchup. Now you can do the math yourself and converting that into American measures, but that is a boatload of ketchup. Thank you for backing up my, uh, my completely just gut feeling with facts. I appreciate it. Yeah. The only uh, Canada is number one or two in the world in ketchup consumption neck and neck with any guesses. United States of America? No. The answer is... Finland. Finland! That's incredible. <laughs> that is All incredible. Right. Titus, we actually have a couple of colleagues of yours from Wisconsin Secret on to talk about their new podcast, The Watery Swim In. Have you heard this thing yet? Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah, it's really great. The work that y'all do podcasting Second best, I think, in the entire Sea Grant network. Well, let's, uh, we'll go right now. So, oh, he's holding up a sign, a certificate. Look at this. Oh, awesome. And Rep Podcast Gold Award. Look at that. Titus, winner of the second most prestigious podcast award in the Great Lakes, also one of the most prestigious, the Lakey. But regardless, we'll, uh, let's move on to our interview. Titus, thanks for coming on for the Great Lakes news. There's no cl- closing theme song for it, but I'll just say thank you. Follow Titus on Twitter for all your fish updates.
our guest tonight. We're so excited to talk to uh, Bonnie Willison, who's a video uh, producer with Wisconsin Sea Grant, and then Hallie Jama, who is an intern with Wisconsin Sea Grant. Somehow, um, instead of spending her college years to, like I spent mine, um, some of which will not be shared on this show, uh, they are co or she is working on this podcast. And so Bonnie and, and Hallie are the co-producers of The Water We Swim In, which is a new podcast uh, put out by our friends of Wisconsin Sea Grant. And you may remember Bonnie. This is her second second time around on the show. She also did the uh, f- fantastic Introduced podcast. And if I remember correctly, was a judge on our um, AIS prevention strategy draft. So we're so glad to have you back. Hey, Bonnie. Hey, Hallie. How are y'all? Good. Th- thanks for having us. And I also don't think I ever got to tell you all in person that um, we are so honored to have won a Lakey for introduced best podcast i think and beating out ologies which should definitely not have happened but uh very honored about that yeah well you should be i mean lakey awards not many not many people or organizations win them right that's the thing um exactly many will enter few will win as they used to say before contests in cereal boxes when i was a kid i i really enjoy that you said well no it should not have beat out ologies but i mean it it did beat out allergies, so it deserved it. Yeah, it exactly. <laughs> None of the Lakeys are what the Lakeys are, and and you are a Lakey winner. Allergies, not a Lakey winner. Sorry, frankly, not <laughs> likely to win this year either. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Many will enter, few will win. What might not be the least prestigious podcast award ceremony about the Great Lakes? Right. So, um, Bonnie and Hallie, can you tell us a little bit about this new podcast that you've been working on? Sure. So we have been working on this new podcast for Wisconsin Sea Grant. It's called The Water We Swim In, and it's about the Great Lakes and people working towards equity. So we've got to talk to some of the people around the Great Lakes and in Wisconsin who are doing just great work with their communities, um, environmental justice topics, and talk to some of the people who are funded by Sea Grant who are doing really amazing work in their communities with indigenous rights and um, wild rice, race, um, accessibility. So some of the stuff like that. Cool. And you have a really fantastic preview that I believe Stuart has queued up. Stuart, can we listen to that right now, please? We have right in our backyards, the greatest source of accessible fresh water on the entire planet. So that's the happy part. The depressing part is all of our problems are kind of our, of our own making. From Wisconsin Sea Grant, I'm Hallie. And I'm Bonnie. And you're listening to The Water We Swim In, stories about the Great Lakes and the people working towards equity. Twice a month, we bring you stories from the community organizers, researchers, and leaders navigating Wisconsin's waters. Water is the lifeblood of Mother Earth, and I just want to help take care of things. It kind of felt like I could run again. If we let those issues be invisible, they'll never get fixed huge wave came by and all of a sudden they like sucked him in. Suddenly the world woke up and realized drinking water is an environmental justice issue. You can see the passion that they have for that that fishing like they they love it you know. We heard about it in the newspaper and it was this little blurb that said this pool is going to close. Giving access is justice. We're looking at this milky broth. The fish and I are currently making eye contact. Subscribe to The Water We Swim In wherever you get your podcasts. So I, I genuinely love your podcast trailers because they are so professional. Like we're doing this goofy, like I'm playing the organ in the basement and you guys have this super slick interface and there's so many 
interesting, even in that snippet right there, it sounds like you have spoken to so many interesting people. Um, Hallie, whose whose story is the most memorable for you so far? Um, honestly, they were all pretty great. I mean, they're all people that are like making a difference in different types of issues. But for me, I would say Damien Bookman's story and like his impact was very memorable to me on the episode called Access is Justice. He shares his story and speaks on issues of how important like accessibility is, especially in the Great Lakes or just outdoors in general. And um, I, my family and I just struggle with that a lot because we have, my little brother is disabled and we notice like how much, I guess you don't really notice how much access, there's, there's a lack of accessibility until like you have someone in your family, like unless it like fully affects you, you don't really pay attention to it much. I think that it was just like really great to hear his story and see people making a difference. And he even suggested like places in Minnesota that I could take my brother and like, um, where there is access. Um, so yeah, I really liked that episode and I'm like, I'm excited for everybody to hear that as well. That's awesome. Um, Bonnie, what's your most memorable story so far? Yeah, there are so many, but one I'll talk about is, so we did an episode about swimming in the Great Lakes, um, and the racial disparities associated with swimming. Black children are five times more likely to drown than white children. And this is a problem across the nation. And we also see it play out in our cities that we know and love, like Milwaukee. Communities of color have less access to pools. And we followed some community organizers who, um, the one pool that's left in the north side of Milwaukee, the government wanted to close it a few years ago. We talked to some of those community organizers who immediately started fighting to save their pool. Um, Cheryl Bledsoe and Sally Callen. And even though this was a few years ago, they were just so passionate still, and they were so excited to be able to talk about this. They ended up, um, spoiler alert, being able to save their pool. But um, these kind of things are still happening in our communities. Yeah, that's an interesting issue because, well, so I grew up in the in the South, right? I, I was born and raised in New Orleans and the pool thing was a, a big deal there because the South was much more segregated and, and pools were like a line of, of demarcation. And, and so listening to that and thinking about that and helping to talk about that issue, I think is, is really, really, um, really good. So I, I appreciate that y'all are bringing that forward. I just wanted to um, acknowledge that I'm kind of in the same boat as Hallie. I have a brother who's disabled and it's like, once you start seeing it, you see it everywhere, but if you without him so i mean i i've told people that we still make kind of decisions about uh, or i i'll take my kids places and i'll be like oh my parents could come here with my brother or things like that because there's a paved walkway yeah. and stuff like that so really fantastic that you guys are tackling well um or featuring stories about so many different issues that's really really cool no it is and and giving that up that uh helping people to see that really does matter because uh, you know the, what you'll always hear is when there's um some sort of huge gender-based issue that comes up. We don't, you know, like everybody, will, you know, one group of people say this is horrible. I have a daughter, and then the pushback will always be, "Well, you should think about. You shouldn't need a daughter to be a thoughtful person, right?" And I agree with that pushback. But but once I had daughters, it it does change the way you see things. I think that's just natural because it expands your experience. And so one wonderful thing about this show is it helps to expand sort of the sideboards on your experience or what you, you know, what, yeah, in life. And, and so I think that's, that's really, really good. 
But backing up, I, I actually, so we hear the trailer. What was the impetus to do this? So your first podcast, well, I don't know if it's your first, first one that I became aware of, so the others don't really matter, um, was uh, introduced, which was all about aquatic invasive species in Wisconsin, yes, but, but it, it, you know, it's a Great Lakes-wide issue, and I, I recommend anybody go listen to it. Um, and, and then so you're looking for something else to do. Uh, you know, it came introduced, came after two great seasons, came to a, an end. And then wh- why this? Why this uh, very important topic as opposed to a million other very important topics? So I think we were looking for other topics to create um, other podcast series introduced, um, kind of came to an end just because my co-host and previous intern, Sydney Waddell, um, is moving on to grad school. And so, um, and it's also like looking for different topics. Um, my boss, uh, Moira Harrington, suggested the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, it's something that I'm really interested in. I've been involved in Wisconsin Sea Grant's effort around that. And I think Wisconsin Sea Grant's effort around DEI has kind of been renewed um, since the killing of George Floyd. And we've been putting a lot of work into it. Um, we've still got a long way to go, but there were also, um, we put a lot of effort into diversifying who gets funding from Wisconsin Sea Grant. So putting out a special call for projects that relate to justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And we were really excited to be able to fund like four of these projects and they're all really cool. Um, and so there's also those opportunities to tell those stories on the podcast with the researchers and the communities that they are working with. So, for example, there's an intertribal group that's looking at wild rice in Wisconsin's largest inland lake, which connects to Green Bay and Lake Michigan. And I just went on a water walk with them. They do a ceremony where they walk around the whole lake. Um, it's, yeah, so, so yeah, we are able, we're just excited to be able to have all these stories that we can, you know, cover. So is that episode um, upcoming if you just went on the water walk with them or is it already out? Yep. That episode is upcoming. Okay. So what other episodes are you most looking forward to? And I guess particularly Hallie, since you, and what I'm hearing here is that if interns want to create really cool podcasts with Wisconsin Sea Grant, they may have opportunities in the future, but Hallie, what are you most looking forward to um, throughout the rest of your internship? Well, something we just started working on um, was an episode about homelessness that I'm really, really excited to start working on. We are kind of still in the researching phase, but um, I had found that when, because my family and I immigrated here in 2010. um, So when we first came here, we had placed, we were placed in this place called Mary's Place in Minneapolis. And while I was doing research, it came up on like the homelessness area and I've noticed that they don't only like help like people that are new to the country. They help families that are like struggling financially or just like are like already homeless that have children and they shelter them until they can, you know, get back into life and start working. And so I thought it would be really interesting to go back and like, I don't want to give like too much away, but like to go back and see what it's like and like maybe interview Mary herself. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited for that episode and to just see like what it's been how long. 12 years now. So just to see how the place has been. And I know they make so much impact. So I think it'd be really great for people to even learn about this place in case like there is somebody that needs help 
um, they can always go to Mary's. Yeah, I'm really excited for Hallie's reporting on that and, you know, all of the ways that homelessness can tie to environmental justice with extreme weather and um, the extreme heat that we're seeing, you know, with climate change being an environmental justice issue. So really excited about that upcoming episode. Yeah, I'll just throw in there. We are doing an episode upcoming as well that we talk to a lot of young people about what they want to see for the future and the future of the Great Lakes um, because we've kind of felt that young people's voices aren't usually heard in political realms and um, in my normal day-to-day life. So I'm really excited about that episode about the next generation. That's fantastic. The next generation gives me hope. So thanks. I'll look forward to listening to that as well. So um, let's quickly remind people where they can listen to um, the water we swim in. Yeah, yeah. They want to go wherever podcasts are found, you say. So you can look at your podcast feed, but is there like a place we should direct people to kind of specifically? Yeah, we also have a website. Um, So at cgrant.wisc.edu, you can find our podcasts. Um, We've got a few ongoing podcasts right now. Fish Dish is really good about fish in the Midwest. Um, Wisconsin Water News, you can still listen to Introduced. Um, But then Under the Water We Swim In, you can find each episode, including episode extras with photos, um, links, and stuff like that. Here's the thing is I think that the work that you do is really admirable and impressive, and I really like it. I like to hear about it. Um, and I, I like to help promote it because I think that nobody else, frankly, nobody else in the Secret Network is doing quite what y'all are doing. Um, and, and so I think that's important. You know, the like I, I the thing that always strikes me the most, in all honesty, is the amount of work it must be, right? Um, that's what I remember thinking about introducing. I was like, oh, my God, we just get up there and, you know, I make thinly veiled fart jokes for like an hour and then we send it off to Quinn and we're done. Uh, but y'all are like putting in music beds and all that stuff. So that's impressive. And it's interesting to hear about all that true. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason we invited you on Teach Me About the Great Lakes has two questions. The first one is this. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, Hallie uh, because I think we've heard from Bonnie before. So Hallie, if you could choose to have a, a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which one would you choose? Okay. You had me nervous because I was like, wait, what? Um, you thought you thought this show was not fundamentally stupid. No. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. Wait. So a donut or a sandwich? Yeah. Great. Great. A great donut. Not you know not junk. Okay, not you right. could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch. Which would you choose? Okay. I honestly would go with just the classic PB and J. PB and J. Look at that. Uh, great sandwich for lunch. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Team sandwich <laughs> and a PB and J. You already answered the follow-up question, which is not the second question. But what, what type of bread yeah. for the PB and J and what type of jam? See, yeah. still. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, bread. I like, I, I just, as long as it's not like the white bread, I'm good. I just don't like those. I like like the brown grain, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, healthier yeah. bread. And um, for jam, I really could care less. I, I mainly just eat it because like it's more protein filled because of like the peanut butter and stuff. But and it's good. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, now, hold on. But so so then we got it. I mean, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. So you have two pieces of bread. They're on a plate, right? Spread. Okay. And now you peanut butter first. One side or two. One side peanut butter. One side the jam. Okay. That's kind of the classic 
Do you put it on both? I don't. Do you put it on both, Stuart? Uh, I have, but it just depends on what we're going for. But no, I, I, I think that's fine. I'm actually not a peanut butter and jelly uh, militant. Some people are, though. That's why I was curious. Oh, wait, crunchy or crunchy or creamy? That's what I was yeah, going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, crunchy yeah. or creamy? I like creamy. See, yeah. That, yeah, there's like fights in my house where it's like, you can't bring creamy into the house. Like, well, no, that, that's, that can't be a title because I'm not the guest. But I know, um, but other than that, <laughs> I mean, it could be a title. It's a thing. You can't bring creamy. But yeah, so cr- crunchy peanut butter is a no-no to me. So. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. And I'll give you my secret recipe. Here we go while we're doing this. So uh, here's my invented peanut butter. I don't have a good name for it. Maybe I'll call it the Teach Me About the Great Lakes. Here's what you do. Two pieces of bread, right? Um, Toast it if you want. You can toast it. You don't have to. Lightly toast though. And then you lay down peanut butter on on one side, jelly on the other side, and you thinly slice apple. Lay that down on the peanut butter side. And then on the jelly side, take pickled jalapeno slices. Boom. Put it on there, cut it on the diagonal, and thank me later. Okay, the second question is this. <laughs> One of the goals of this podcast, other than discussing um, sandwich recipes, or ask me about the spicy Rita sometime, um, is to kind of build a community around the Great Lakes uh, and, and um, help people realize what a special place it is, right? So uh, I think we'll go both of you this time, because I think, Bonnie, this wasn't our question last time we had. So, Bonnie, why don't you lead us? Is there a special place in the Great Lakes that you'd like to share with our audience? Maybe it's something you learned about during this, you know, producing your show or maybe some other time. But is there a special place you'd like to share? And if so, what makes it special? Well, I'm kind of thinking of Lake Winnebago, the lake I talked about earlier, Wisconsin's largest lake, because we've got the healthiest lake sturgeon population, I think, in the world. And I didn't know about them a few years ago, you know, but now I've gone up to um, the northern part of the lake in the spring and you can see them spawn and they're like five feet long and they're just moseying around like on the banks and it draws tourists and um, yeah, and Lake Winnebago ties into the Great Lakes. So I would say that I love the all the fish tourism I've learned about. That's really awesome. My kids are currently at a nature camp where the t-shirt like has a picture of a lake sturgeon on it. And I was so excited. And it was, yeah. And also lake sturgeon um, did not win a lakey, but in my heart. Did no, it did. Well, the thing they is. They actually called out that if Carolyn was here, she would be arguing. Carolyn had the option to appear on that episode, chose not to. So, uh. <laughs> That's, so Lake Winnebago takes funny. Um, how about you, Hallie? Okay. So I haven't really explored lakes in like Wisconsin. I'm from Minnesota. So what I used to do a lot growing up was, um, this is only in Minnesota though, so you'd have to go visit Minnesota. But um, we would always, go, my friends and I would go to punch pizza, like towards the last days of school. We'd go to punch pizza and then we would go to this lake called Starring Lake in Eden Prairie. And it was just really pretty. We also took a lot of field trips there when we were kids. Um, sometimes we would just, like for science class, they would make us sit in the cold and listen for birds which wasn't the best memory because I was freezing but I, I've always loved that lake and just like going back was always really fun that is wonderful well Bonnie Willison video producer with Wisconsin Sea Grant and Hallie Jama co-producer and intern uh they're both co-producers actually of the really wonderful the water we swim in don't think of this podcast as vegetables people I mean you should listen to it because it's good to listen to but it's it's also entertaining it's unlike this well-produced um, their music is alarmingly competent. And, uh, so it's, it's really worth uh, going to check out. So look at the show notes for the link, subscribe to the podcast. It's uh, a couple times a month, super interesting, a little bit enraging in the, but the good kind of enraging. So, uh, 
Bonnie and Hallie, thank you for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. This is really fun. always great to see the cool work that bonnie is up to and and what they do at at wisconsin sea grant and i think of it it's funny that they mentioned that i think of it as like uh in many ways uh the moral sea grant program um you know they really are uh they do a lot of heartfelt great work on issues related to dei and other things and i'm I'm always so impressed with them yeah and they're also just like really really nice people thank you i mean we've featured a number of wisconsin sea grant staff on this show um partly because they've been doing such cool stuff yeah but partly because they're also a lot of fun (laughs) A lot of fun people yeah, over there. That's right. yeah. One other thing I wanted to point out, though, is um, so as you mentioned, the the hard work that they are doing to try to make their research competitions and, and more inclusive. And um, I bring this up because I know you would not. And that is, I am also really impressed by the work that our research coordinator Carolyn Foley does on that. It's it's really challenging um, because academia, like life. Uh, privileges a certain type of people who work at a certain type of institution, right? Um, and and it's it's very easy to fund people on uh, like a major research universities, and uh, who have you know been really successful in the past, and that's good to do. But it it leaves behind potentially some other people, and so Carolyn has worked really hard to make our process more inclusive. And and I mean the results are there to see. So I, I I'm really impressed with the work you do on that, Carolyn, and I thank you for it. Thank you. Um... And yeah, it's uh, sometimes good to be someone who likes interesting challenges and likes to find yes. solutions, if she can. <laughs> so. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by the fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org and at ilinsegrant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Also feel the need to really acknowledge Wisconsin Sea Grant, who helped us out a lot with today's show. I mean, I agree, Carolyn, but the thing is, duly acknowledged, but they wouldn't want our show anywhere near their beautifully professionally produced podcast show. They'd be like, get this out of here. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Minnie Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check her work out at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, for example, we're okay with your production levels. We're good. Please email it to teach me like about the, the music. Great Lakes. Really, I do. It's fantastic. Teach me about the Great Lakes at gmail.com. Or leave a message on our hotline, old school phone, at 765-496-IISG. You can also follow the show at Twitter, on Twitter, at Teach Great Lakes. Thanks for listening, <laughs> and keep reading those links. You're welcome.